Okay, guys, in a, in a few seconds, we're going to be going live. I'll let you know when we're, we're going live. Okay. Okay, guys, we're live. Hey, we're what's live. up, everybody? Hello, and uh, welcome to an episode, another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host, my co-host in all things law enforcement, What's up, Bill Cannon? I'm very excited to have these two left coast guests, West Coast, I meant. These guys are actually Republicans. I don't know how a Republican ever got elected district attorney in, in L.A. County, though. That must have been the perfect storm, Steve. Okay, so well, we uh, wait, well, before we start, before we, before we start, let me introduce you guys. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, we, we do the show here in New York and most of uh, our, our episodes have to deal with New York and we've been expanding. So uh, just on behalf of Bill and I, I just want to tell you how excited we are to have you because you're both um, from LA, uh, Los Angeles County, and you both work there. Greg Meyer, you were an LAPD captain. And uh, your last assignment was uh, the police academy, which I want to talk to you a little bit about. I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and Steve Cooley, you were the LA County DA. And um, you wrote a couple of books now. And uh, and uh, Greg was uh, Greg helped you out on there. Greg is an expert in all things law enforcement. And Bill read the books uh, cover to cover, right, Bill? Yeah, yeah. I, I will when I get them, but I, I didn't actually. But um, the books sound sound amazing, especially especially they're so relevant to what's going on right now. And One of the books is called uh, "Blue Lives in Jeopardy," and the other book is called "Blue Lives Matter" in the line of duty. They're part of a Blue Lives um, series of books, and the, one of the authors is. Um, is Steve, right, Steve? Right. Um, myself and Bob Shearn, we co-authored uh, the books, Blue Lives Matter, In the Line of Duty was the first book. The second book was <clears throat> Blue Lives in Jeopardy, When the Badge Becomes the Target. And these books basically deal with um, the killing of uh, and assassination of police officers. That's correct. It's all murders of <clears throat> law enforcement officers in Los Angeles County over the years. And we've uh, <clears throat> selected them based upon the notoriety uh, and uh, the, the unique facts of the cases. And then we brought in Greg Meyer, uh, renowned uh, <clears throat> use of force police tactics expert to write a lessons learned component at the end of each chapter uh, of the book. You know, Steve, that is that is so important, uh, and maybe I could also address this to Greg. The lessons learned, because I I I, I was in homicide for my last ten years on the job, and at the end of a case, it's probably always a good idea, whether the case is solved or unsolved, to do a critique on the things that you did right and the things that you did wrong, so that you don't repeat what you did wrong the next time. You know, because it's always a learning experience, and as uh, Greg, you know. And Steve, you know, homicide is a team sport. There's no single superstar that's going out there, even though, you know, you watch these shows on uh, Investigation Discovery. I have one guy in mind who's personally solved 400 murders, which is not, not bullshit, <laughs> but 
it's always good, and I, I really enjoyed the fact that you guys uh, critique what you do and lessons learned. Could you speak a little about, a bit about that, Greg? Well, uh, Greg, I wanted uh, what, we, what he was asking you basically. Could we? Could you talk to us about the forty years of experience that you had with the? Because uh, you worked especially with the um, tactics and um, arresting and um, use of force. And you're an expert on that. And you were the captain of the police academy. And now we're going through uh, a time right now where um, even as Bill always mentions, uh, talk about the compression on the back, Bill. Well, I don't know if yeah. you guys saw the diaphragm uh, uh, laws that the New York City Council just came up with. Out now, absolutely. just absolutely ridiculous. Do you want to speak to that, Greg? Yeah, it's a... It's a little crazy. Let me just mention, I was uh, 30 years with LAPD. I do use of force, uh, expert witness work all over the country. Uh, I've done that for quite a few years, even before I retired uh, as Martin was captain at the Los Angeles Police Academy. That's because Bill Bratton, who you all know very well, was our chief at the time. And uh, he decided to put me back in the academy because he, he thought I needed more training, I guess. I, I had the opportunity to do that job for a year and a half. And of course, uh, the tactics training is part of any police academy. Um, uh, as one of you mentioned, it's uh, as Bill mentioned, it's so important to learn the lessons after any given incident so that we don't keep making the, the same mistakes. I just want to give you a quote from a close friend of mine from tactics from the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, retired expert that some of your audience will know his name also. He said, says, we dishonor the fallen if we ignore the lessons that Your sound is cutting out. Try it again, Greg. Yeah, Greg, you might want to uh, log off and log back on again. Dishonor the fallen if we ignore the lessons that will. Yeah, give me one second here. All right, so while we're on hold right now, um, Steve, how did you come to work with, um, with Greg? Well, I knew Greg when he was a police officer, and then I was the district attorney for Los Angeles County from 2000 to 2012, uh, obviously we had a lot of uh, officer involved use of force cases. And uh, Greg was the person we went to uh, both when he was with LAPD and after to give us a, a fair and honest and objective assessment of what certain conduct was or wasn't from the standpoint of, um, of a potential jury trial or making a decision on filing or not filing a case. You need were, you, were, you the, um, were you the DA with uh, Rodney King? No, that was uh, before my time. That was uh, back in the early 90s. I was elected in 2000. Right. Uh, and then I served three terms. I retired in 2012. Well, Greg, I was expert witness in the Rodney King case for the city way back when. 
Yeah, that's what I read that in the notes. You yeah. were the, and also um, the other case uh, that was a, a very famous case with the with on the train station, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I was an expert witness for the officer, uh, Johannes Mesterly in Oakland, the uh, uh, BART system, the train system shooting that happened in uh, uh, the 1st of January 2009, and he got prosecuted for first degree murder. Uh, it was a crazy politically racially charged uh, uh, case. He was ultimately found guilty of uh, manslaughter um involuntary manslaughter um and this was one of the many cases that are out there where an officer mistakenly draws their gun and shoots somebody when they're actually in their mind they're trying to draw their taser there's been 17 or 18 of those cases around the uh, country only two of them have been criminally charged and uh the uh, Bart tragedy was one of them. What was the outcome of that case? Uh, the officer was found guilty, uh, not of murder, but of involuntary manslaughter, which in California basically means an accidental death with some negligence. And uh, it definitely was not a murder. It definitely, he definitely had no intention of shooting the person. Uh, All right. In the since heat we, of listen, battle of trying to subdue this guy, trying to we, draw his taser, and he drew his gun. Unfortunately, since we both have you here, right now, um, Steve, you're the DA, and Greg, you are the captain of the police academy in charge of training, and we are going through what's actually going on today. We have bail reform. We have. Um, we have uh, police officers on What are you teaching in the academy? What are you doing about, about bail reform if you had to deal with these fellas? These two issues, what would you have, what would you be doing right now? Well, Mr. Steve Cooley and I uh, have observed the bail reform efforts in other jurisdictions uh, using algorithms and other such mechanisms, New Jersey, New York, and elsewhere. From what I understand, is generally been a failure. I would put much more faith in an adversary proceeding where a judge decides according to traditional bail rules. Last time I looked, bail was still in the US Constitution, uh, algorithms weren't. So uh, LA is and California are moving towards uh, a no bail system. However, the bail industry is fighting it, and there will be an initiative on the ballot to uh, essentially uh, overrule the Chief Justice's uh, decision to kind of impose it through the courts and the decision of some uh, others in the justice system to have it uh, be the system whereby people are evaluated as to whether they should be <clears throat> uh, let out on bail or not and how much. And I, I, I trust the adversary system, DA, defense attorney, judge, input, decision, according to rules. Steve, isn't not, it also- Not some algorithm or some bureaucrat. But Steve, is, isn't it also an, an ideology? Because I think what one side is trying to empty the prisons and the jails because they think it's unjust. And the other side 
Uh, I mean, I, I think that's just lunacy that one side doesn't recognize the danger of having criminals out on the street, unmonitored, undisciplined, un, you know, unwatched. And, and it's just, they, they think it's just- And unlikely to appear in court. Uh, yes, it's, it's part of the decarceration movement. There is a decarceration movement that is an ideology. It's adopted by well, a lot of left-wing uh, elected officials, certainly uh, the George Soros type people uh, would support that. Um, I think anyone with real experience in the justice system and uh, public safety uh, would reject it on its face. It's pretty it disturbing when you see what's happening in New York City right now. I mean, I was, uh, I came on a police department in 1985 and, you know, Comstat started in around 1990. And every year they lowered crime, every single year to the point they lowered it 70% in 30 years. And now they're going to give it back in two or three years. It's unbelievable. You know. Well, when I was the DA of LA County, uh, we had the lowest crime rate uh, year after year after year, lowest crime rate in 60 years. And that's because we were putting the right people in prison for the right amount of time. The system was working and selecting those who should be on probation and those that should be in prison. And now California with Governor Brown, Newsom, uh, our uh, majority Democrat state legislature, uh, we're uh, definitely moving away quickly from uh, those safe days. We're, we're gonna have a public safety crisis here in California. In fact, we already have one. It's just gonna get worse and worse, uh, no doubt about it. Across, across the country, what I'm seeing here uh, the last couple of months is uh, with respect to police tactics and training, uh, I'm seeing several things and a lot of them are not good. Uh, you're, you're having decisions being made by politicians and activists, politicians that are sympathetic to the activists and between them, they have no idea how police work is done. And history is repeating itself in several ways. You go back into the early 1980s in Los Angeles in LAPD, rotted control hold was a regular Regularly used tactic. Well, guy, it was fine, but in May of 1982, the politicians ordered the police department to stop doing that. Immediately, and two officers, because now they're using their nightsticks. Now they're using karate kicks. We had some tasers, but not enough to go around in those days. And so the injuries just absolutely skyrocketed. All right, so we get used to that. Nine years later, along comes Rodney King on the videotape and everybody goes, oh my God, how did that happen? If Rodney King had had a carotid hold put on him when he started resisting, you would have never heard the name Rodney King. There would not even have been a videotape. It would have been over. He would have been in the backseat of the police car before the man across the street ever cranked up the, the video camera. So here we are 
New York and other places, many other places around the country are saying, okay, take away the carotid control hold. Well, I'm saying, been there, done that. Get ready for more injuries to your officers. Get ready for more injuries to their suspects. And that's not what's intended, but the decisions are being made by people who absolutely have no idea how to subdue someone. And now you mentioned the diaphragm law in New York that just got signed. I mean, I've been following that very closely. That is totally irresponsible. How in the heck are you gonna subdue someone who wants to resist you that has to be taken to the ground or someone that fights you that has to be taken to the ground? If you can't put your knee on his back or his butt or, or any of the pressure points without you being criminally charged, that's crazy. You might as well just let the guy go. I think it comes back to the bigger picture of uh, what we've been seeing probably for a couple of years now is the war on police. There is definitely, uh, we were discussing it, it started in New York when the guy poured the bucket of water on the cop and oh, the yeah. things they've been getting away with. And it's just, there is recognizably, and not just in New York, but nationally, a war on the police. And yeah. using force is like, you know, it's, it's like a dirty word. And, you know, policing is a contact sport, but the public doesn't want to see the contact, but they just want the results. They want the arrest. They want a safe environment, but they don't want to see the contact, which brings us to maybe more non-lethal devices. Hey, Greg, speaking of uh, non-lethal devices, the other day I saw a video. Um, it was in New York City. In New York City, it was uh, at a protest. And... Uh, they were after some guy. The taser came out right away, which was interesting because it, it kind of sort of ended the whole physical confrontation. It, the, as the guy ran away, as soon as the, the officer was going to put his hands on him and try to um, subdue him, instead of that, he just hit him with the taser and the guy fell and they were able to cuff him. So my point is you're an expert on tasers. You did that for your whole career, um, even getting shot with the taser on in a number of occasions I read. But um, do you think that's going to happen, that we're going to go to the taser right away now? Yeah, I, I don't know. You, you're probably going to go, if, if you're not going to have a situation where it's safe because you'll get criminally charged if you do it, to take somebody to the ground and put your knee on their butt or their back while you're handcuffing them, which is the standard way of doing it, um, maybe they will automatically go to more, more tasers, but still when you're getting the person handcuffed while they're down, how are you going to control them? Cause the taser, the taser is not going to be on the whole time. It, it, it's very, very challenging to try to picture, um, what it's going to look like to control someone on the ground. If you can't put, uh, uh, a knee or any any kind of pressure on their back or their butt or or anything like that. It, it it's a it's it's kind of a ridiculous policy. Or now I guess it's a law. Um, I'd hate to be the first guy that uh, tries to do that, and then some prosecutor says, "Well, or you're violating the new law." It's also parenthetically, it's hard for me to see any prosecutor with a reasonable brain actually charging an officer with doing that. They, they already have the first guy. 
Oh, one officer was arrested for putting a guy in a chokehold. And the guy was a career criminal, and he got arrested again a few days later. Wow. I, I wow. think it's a fair, I think it's a fair assessment right now in contemporary America that you have a lot of lousy chief prosecutors. And I can name the jurisdictions if you wish. There's one or two back in uh, uh, New York and a couple of boroughs there. Uh, St. Louis, the person's contemplating filing weapons charges against the people defending their home. Uh, Fulton County, Atlanta, that guy is dumb as a rock. Chicago, uh, <laughs> if you ever hear her speak, she doesn't know what she's doing. There are some terror, Philadelphia, they're falling apart with that defense-oriented left-wing ideological uh, nimrod being their chief prosecutor. <laughs> and the crime is going up in all those places. They are Steve, not go back to, real go back to the couple. Steve, go back to the couple that tried to defend their property. How can they charge them when that is in the law as part of justification? You can't. And how do they get a search warrant? For, for that I don't weapon? understand either. Don't you need probable Let's, cause for a search warrant? Unless, what judge, what judge signed that? Well, judge Butler? Well, you need an... Uh, you need, an affidavit and a fan to make a statement of probable cause that is true. And if those guns are, and they can easily be determined if they're lawfully possessed, there's no grounds to seize them at all. So you got a screwed up prosecutor. I briefly heard her speak. She doesn't know what she's doing. And you apparently have a judge that uh, bought into it, but boy, I would not want to be living in St. Louis if that's the way they do things back there, or Philadelphia, and a couple of boroughs in New York, and uh, you know, just uh, some places in California aren't too hot either. Um, well, Vance is no bargain in New York either. Vance is a carpetbag okay, no, 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 yeah, state. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's uh, he doesn't strike me. But how about is there a weird guy in Brooklyn too that? Yeah, uh, sort of a Soros kind of guy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's not good. That's not no. good. No. You never, you never have to wonder where Steve Cooley stands on these issues. I'll tell you that. He was elected by the Steve, how did you ever get elected to three terms in California, being a Republican? How did that happen? I, well, it's a, uh, in California, district attorney is a nonpartisan race by law. So even though some people will try and make a partisan race, uh, the voters generally figure out. Uh, who the most qualified candidate is. I ran against that very famous DA named Gil Garcetti, and I just clobbered him. I slaughtered him. Worst landslide for against an incumbent in the history of the LA County DA's office. I was very proud of that. And I wanted two more landslides because we did a good job. And that's how they, you should measure that kind of a job is, are they doing a good job or not? And then right. vote for them or against them. Uh, but when you politicize a prosecutorial office or a police agency, that is a downhill uh, direction. You don't want to go there. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, my, my opponent, Gil Garcetti, uh, spent a couple million dollars calling me a Republican trying to win it that way. He got right. his ass kicked. Hey, didn't, uh, you, um, didn't you go up against Kamala Harris? Yeah, for attorney general. I actually won that election on election night. And then when they got through counting the what they call provisional ballots, 
I lost in every single county. All those old Democrat uh, mail-in ballots. <laughs> well, no, they're act they're actually you drop them off at the end. They aren't even mailed in. They come in the day of the election. They're dropped off, and then they're only then they're counted if a race is close. Ours was close, and she just killed me in every county on provisional votes. So I actually won that. And if, and if it had been a, a regular, you know, an honest election, you wouldn't have to deal with her as a potential vice presidential candidate. <laughs> you know, Steve, Steve didn't mention uh, the district attorney in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, but he should be on that list too. Um, I'm currently involved in the defense of a young officer charged with first degree murder in Nashville. He's chasing a suspect down the street. The suspect has a gun in his hand. He switches it to his other hand. They're running. He's turning on the officer. The officer is yelling, stop or I'll shoot, stop or I'll shoot. He turns on the officer again and the officer shoots him. And in Nashville, they're prosecuting that kid for first degree murder. Now. There is something really wrong, but here's the other thing. You have case after case. I mean, I know a lot of your audience follows these things. We've gotten to the point in this country in many places, case after case where the police or the sheriff shoots somebody who's got the gun in their hand and, and they think, Oh, well, the police should have talked him out of it or something. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The police should have talked him out of it. They should. I mean, it's crazy. So do these do these officers take a judge trial because the juries are that stupid? The officers well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not In Baltimore, the officers took uh, bench trials and they were generally acquitted. Um, which I thought was a pretty smart move uh, under the circumstances, but the really dumb move was the uh, the uh, state's attorney uh, in that particular county that governs the governs Baltimore even bringing charges. It was a response without proper investigation or analysis, and the DA's office or whatever they're called back in Baltimore had their ass handed to them because they were not professional. They're responding to political pressure, which is the worst, uh, most unethical thing a prosecutor can do. And that state's attorney in Baltimore, uh, I'll say right now, she can sue him if she wants, unethical, unprofessional, and <clears throat> should be tossed out of office. Doesn't deserve uh, to be called a prosecutor. It seems like they're activists and not prosecutors. You know, they're political activists. They're political activists with uh, ideologies and they're weak and unprincipled because they react to political or public pressure. It's supposed to be about the law and the facts. It's that simple and they don't get it. Uh, and it's all over Chicago, Jesse Smollett, whatever his name is, uh, that, that DA, dumb as a rock. Her name is Fox or something, <laughs> dumb as a rock, but she reacted. And, and gave in to her, uh, her political whims, and I think some political pressure to uh, uh, not pursue him for filing a false police report and, and all the rest of the stuff he did. 
And it also was a, a, a report that causes tension between the races because he was claiming uh, you know, racial bias and a, a, a bias attack against himself. He made yeah, the well, it, it all sorts of negative collateral consequences, plus the Chicago Police Department probably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars sorting out his false claims uh, because they were under pressure to do so, and they did a good job. person who failed back there was their public prosecutor. She's the failure. And that's a that's a that's a second largest jurisdiction, United States of America. Los Angeles is the largest by far, but Cook County, Chicago, that's number two, and they're led by someone who really is not qualified uh, or well suited to be a public prosecutor. Right. I mean, you always think the wisdom is in within the law that the law will solve all incompetence and all bias, but it's it's just not true. You know. It's whoever's wielding the power of the law. It's whoever's making the decisions. And if this country starts getting a whole lot of George Soros puppet prosecutors, you can forget the law and you can forget the facts. You're going to see an ideologically driven executive prosecutorial uh, power being turned over uh, to the wrong people. It's an incredibly powerful position. Yes. You want the right people in there. You don't want a George Soros puppet. No way. Very disturbing. Uh, do you guys want to touch upon, I know the one book, The Blue Lives Matter, examines eight uh, line of duty murders of police officers. Steve, would you maybe comment on, there's the book right there, Blue Lives Matter and the Line of Duty. Would, would you maybe comment on one of those cases and uh, involve Greg in how he re-examined the case and lessons learned, that whole type of thing. Yeah, I like to have Greg, Greg do it as a very objective observer because he read through all the eight trap chapters and uh, I've got Greg take, take that on. And I'm, then I like to talk about the second book, Blue Lives in Jeopardy and what we were trying to accomplish with that book. But Greg, why don't you take a chapter from Blue Lives Matter? Sure. We have, uh... One, again, these are these these are hard because officer got murdered. Uh, usually, about one officer a week is murdered in this country. Unfortunately, uh, in recent years. By the way, there's already, as of this morning, there's already been 30 officers murdered in the line of duty so far this year, just through this morning, and that's a seven percent increase over uh, last year on the same day. So, you know, rest in peace, but we've got to learn the lessons of how these officers die and how we can train against it and instill good work habits in people. Because frankly, most of our officers die for the same reasons over and over. And, and not all of them are preventable, but many of them are preventable. Here's, 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 here's an example. We have an officer working alone in the middle of the night in a commercial area, a closed down factory area, basically. There's little traffic or legitimate activity. He's just driving down the road. He sees two men and a woman walking in this closed area. And he decides to stop and investigate. He did not radio in his location or why he was stopping them. He did not request a backup unit. 
and he picked one of the male suspects out to do a, a frisk search, a cursory search for weapons. For reasons we cannot know, the officer was either unaware of or he allowed the killer and the killer's girlfriend to walk up on him while he was searching the other guy. And of course, the killer just walked up to the officer and killed him with one shot to the head. Now, it got solved because the girlfriend got nervous and started talking to people and all that. But it's like, you can't do that, guys. You know, basic, basic tactics. You're stopping somebody, you're by yourself, you're stopping somebody, you got to let communications know what you're doing and where you are. And maybe before you even stop three people, when you're by yourself in the middle of the night, maybe you need to radio in and say, hey, send me a cover unit, a backup unit, right. so that uh, we can take care of business here. That's That's just you know, one of many examples of how how we lose an officer tragically and maybe unnecessarily. And it's what these books are about is we get right down into the nitty gritty, thanks to Steve Cooley and Bob Shearn, the primary author's intense research and writing, we get right down into the details of how the incident happened. Th details that nobody's going to read in a newspaper or see on the TV news when they talk about the officer getting killed. And then we look at, okay, what could have been done different to save that life? And that's what these books are all about is trying to save the lives of officers while they're out there doing that increasingly dangerous job. And I'll tell you, it is increasingly dangerous. Just like violent crime is going up all over the big cities in Minneapolis and all the demonstrations and burning police cars and burning police buildings and attacking officers. Uh, violent crime is going up, you know, in New York uh, better than I do. I mean, it's up two and a half times the same period last year, the number of shootings and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm afraid that it also means that more and more officers are being attacked and we're going to lose more and more officers as a result of what's going on here. So we really got to be on guard for it and be as tactically proficient as we can. Yeah, and uh, the second book is called uh, Blue Lives in Jeopardy When the Badge Becomes the Target. This is because we, we wrote this book because it we saw a trend where officers uh, were being essentially assassinated and in some cases executed. Every one of the chapters in Blue Lives in jeopardy and the bad becomes a target involves the execution of an officer who is caught off guard, uh, unprepared, or exercising bad tactics, or they're just uh, assassinated. Uh, and we saw that trend throughout the country, and we saw uh, examples of it in Los Angeles County. So that book uh, uh, focuses on that particular aspect of uh, the murders of police officers. In many of the cases, the officers, in fact, in most of the cases in the chapters in that book, the officers never got their gun out of their holster. Well, it's happened in New York. Well, uh, the most recent was Mia Sosa's Familia yes. in the Bronx, and she was executed. And then uh, Wen Jen Lu and uh, was it yeah. Lopez was, uh, I'm not, I forget the other officer's name, but out and out assassinations of police officers. This was things that were happening. 
There was but a that, one um, cop went to a domestic violence call just last week and was ambushed. Uh, as soon as he got out of the car, they just, it was, a, it was a, you know, they ambushed him. There was an assassination. There was no call there. This is the same, this is what I was saying about the same things keep happening. History keeps repeating itself. I mean, you guys in NYPD know, and I know clear over here on the left coast, in the early 1970s, I think it was in NYPD, two officers at once. And, and you've seen it since then. Um, uh, the, these are tough. We've just got to keep teaching our people and our new people. Hey, um, let me let me ask Steve. You know, now that we're getting into this, um, the federal government said they were going to make uh, Antifa. We need to I'm not sorry. forget the lessons. You guys okay? Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Steve, about um. Uh, now I lost my train. Antifa. Antifa. About the federal oh, government. Uh, federal government. Uh, now I think they're probably waiting on BLM too. They want. They're probably going to make them. That my my idea is that they're looking to both make them both uh, terrorist organizations and uh, attack them that way. Make them arrest them federally. Now you are a prosecutor. What what is actually the difference between because. You talk about all these horrible prosecutors, they're not going to do the job. So that's where the federal government has to step in and, I guess, uh, take care of these people. What's the difference there? Well, first of all, I, I want to uh, I beg to differ with you between Antifa and BLM. I think they're two different kinds of organizations. Antifa is clearly, clearly made up of terrorists uh, who enjoy uh, and organize and conspire to commit violence against others. This is what they, this is a raison d'etre. Now, black, uh, the Black Lives Matter group, that's a communist organization. They self-admit that. The founders of the National Black Lives Matter movement say they are trained Marxists, and this is sort of like their job and their avocation. Uh, I think that uh, they, at this point, because they ha probably have some unwitting followers and believers who just sort of believe in the cause, uh, self-flagellation or their guilt trips or whatever, I don't think uh, that can be characterized as a terrorist organization, at least. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that was my opinion. What I was saying was that my, I have an idea like the federal government is, is waiting for a couple of homicides that they could attach to BLM and then they could put them in that category as well. That, that's just thinking the way the federal government acts. My, my, I don't have an opinion on it. I mean, well, uh, you know, you, the federal government, uh, U.S. attorneys uh, and federal law enforcement agencies have a lot of powerful tools they can use against <clears throat> those kinds of groups, especially when uh, they operate well beyond the normal jurisdiction of a local prosecutor. That's uh, my point. That's my point. In order to uh, prosecute it and shut, um, obviously, Antifa down. And then if uh, there's a lot of violence that they can uh, attach to BLM, 
it would probably but, like to do the same thing. Use well, those yeah, better. Treat them like, treat them like, like, treat them like games. Uh, they've done a yeah. pretty good job going after some of the, the uh, international gangs that maybe came from L.A. but end up in Virginia. Uh, the, the, uh, they're pretty good at that. So treat them like gangs or organized crime. Well, how, about, uh, yes, how about using the RICO statute? Yeah, RICO, obviously. Racketeering influence, yeah. corrupt organizations. That's what they are. They commit yeah. multiple felonies in the furtherance of a grand conspiracy. Those are powerful laws. And, and the and the feds know how to use it. At least now, you don't have uh, some screwed up people at the top of the FBI. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, I think we have some legitimate, honest leadership now that aren't on some political agenda. So yeah, I'd like to see the feds, all their different agencies, ATF, uh, uh, ICE, uh, FBI, um, all of do their thing. And hopefully- How does, how does local law enforcement stand by and watch them rip down statutes and just let just let them do it how is that okay i, I, I don't I, I don't get it either that's a crime it's called vandalism when a crime yeah. is in progress you as a law enforcement officer are supposed to stop it the only thing i can think of is one either they're getting the wrong signs from their political leadership to stand down go light do whatever you want uh, let it burn we'll fix it later kind of stuff that could be part of it. And the other part is the cops are just outnumbered and tactically is too dangerous to move in. I, and that's a possibility. They're just outnumbered. Well, Steve, uh, so all, I like to talk about know, that. all the tools that the NYPD has learned in disorder control, there was a chief named Louis Animone. I don't know if you remember him, but he yeah, was a real hard charging chief. He was one of the uh, biggest experts in disorder control in the world. And when he, when, when he looked at this, you know, we spoke to him about this. They have the ability to, to knock it down. They have the tools. They didn't use drones. They didn't use helicopters. They didn't use horses. What are you keeping all the tools in the garage? You know, this is game, this is game day. Let's use all the tools at our disposal. Where's the I investigative think, element? You know? I, I think you may be right, especially the horses. Uh, those are really effective. The horses and crowds, that's what horses are for. You yeah, know? I know. Great. We got plenty of them out here. You know, and, and they, uh, as far as drones, in, when the riots first started, they were occupying the police in one area and then going, breaking into stores in another area. Drones could have followed these people. And you, you know, I mean, but if you don't use them, no one's gonna know, you know. Aviation could have followed them. They never had aviation up during these riots. Well, there's been a lot of efforts here in, in Los Angeles County to put huge restrictions and controls on law enforcement's use of drones. Uh, and I think law enforcement has said, look, we don't want to interfere with anyone's privacy rights or any of those concerns. But we do want to use this as an effective tool. But they're constantly battling, uh, you know, the left-wing uh, elements, the ACLU, right. all those guys, uh, to, to just to try and use a tool that can help in the pursuit of public safety. But it's a fight. It's a fight all the time, just to do the right thing. Look, Google doesn't want law enforcement to use facial recognition, so there's other companies that will allow law enforcement to use it. We don't have to get it from Google. We'll get it from some other companies. Well, well, Google, 
Google likes to do a lot of things that benefit Google. And yeah. they really ought to be a little more uh, uh, public safety oriented and responsive. And don't, don't protect terrorists, which they have done. They have protected the information on a terrorist cell phone just to have control over their data. Well, some right. point in time, that has to give way to public safety. I'm sorry, Google, that's kind of the way it works. Uh, at some point in time, you get a warrant, you give it up. Well, Apple did the same thing and until the FBI figured out how to get the information from the phone without Apple. Yeah, Apple, Google. Uh, and then the only thing that makes me laugh, though, is how periodically they get hit, like Twitter got hit yesterday. Uh, you know what? They're crying for the FBI to come and solve their crime because they've been victimized. <laughs> That's right. Twitter got hacked by some hackers. Uh, I guess they paid somebody on the inside of Twitter to uh, to give them access to to uh, to a bunch of people. Oh yeah, Obama and uh, Bloomberg and a bunch <laughs> of other. <laughs> well, you know. What well, hey, What do you do when you're a prosecutor and they pass okay. laws that tie your hands, that handcuff you? Well, you join with other prosecutors and hopefully you have enough uh, influence and sway with the state legislature to uh, fix things. But uh, that's, that has not been the case in California for some time. Uh, uh, we've not had a, a, a really a great governor in the state for many, many years. And uh, the, the uh, legislature's uh, <clears throat> a super majority. Uh, so, it's just it's hard for prosecutors now. Uh, but, you know, some crisis will occur and maybe those dumbbells will wake up and do the right thing. Uh, that's that's what, how it has to happen. You know what's Before funny that you mentioned that, back. Steve? Pardon me? You know what's funny that you mentioned that a crisis has to occur. So we're seeing crime going up in all these neighborhoods. And, like, for example, in New York City, the shootings that have gone up... Um, the, 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 the people that have been killed overwhelmingly are people of color. So let's say it was like 95% uh, black deaths, including a one-year-old and the other 5% was Hispanic. So, and these deaths are, are basically they're mounting. And in New York City, we have, um, I've seen this cycle several times now uh, where there's one murder that happens where Okay, that's enough. We have to do something about it now. And <laughs> most of the time, that, that murder is a white person. So this whole argument right now, it, we should be attacking this right now before more Black lives are lost. Well, I think, I think maybe some of the, the, the leaders uh, in, in the Black community should take that uh, torch and run with it. Uh, I don't know if you heard the grandmother... Uh, and the father of the one-year-old who was uh, uh, shot and killed in uh, New York. Yeah. Before yesterday. They were eloquent in saying, this has got to stop. Uh, you know, the, the, the grandmother said, hey, babies' lives matter. Yeah. And that's the message that has yeah. to go out. Chicago is a killing field. I saw, heard someone call it a, uh, sh Chicago is like a circular firing squad. Uh with, with the deaths, the, the, all the shootings and all the deaths, 64 shootings, 16 deaths in one week. 
over and over and over again. Uh, this, this is a serious problem, but I think people like the grandmother, the one-year-old, have to keep getting the message out. Stop killing our babies. Stop killing well, them. Well, Stop Steve, killing also, Steve, you mentioned Chicago, and Chicago has the strictest gun, gun rules, gun laws in the nation. How's well, that working out for them? You know? they're, trying to, they're trying to come up with new gun legislation now. Yeah. Just yeah. this week, they want to come up with new gun legislation. <laughs> Well, no, 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 no. Well, let's not go. We can talk about that all day long too. Let's talk about the police stuff. But um, well, crazy. It's my crazy. point, Lewis. You remember um, in New York City, we you know we had Dinkins as a mayor, and that's when um, it was just like it's it's beginning to be now. It, you know, every day the homicides uh, coming on the news and reporting these horrible deaths. And, it, you know, most of the time it took place in the minority communities. And then all of a sudden, this couple comes here from Utah to go to the U.S. Open. And uh, it's a family. Watkins was their name. And the, somebody tries to rip off the mother's purse. The son steps in, gets stabbed right in the stairwell of the subway. And that was it. It was that was it. We got to change. And then after that point, everything changed. Like enough is enough. And that's my point. It's like. Why can't we do something now before it gets freaking crazy again? Why do we let this happen? And I'm talking not we, but the like the elected officials. You well, know, well, how about get rid of your mayor for starters. He's a loser. He's, he's an embarrassment. I don't know how, he do that. how do you do that? He's, he's not, not public safety oriented. He's anti a police officer. That's clear. Yeah. That's clear. We know which side he's on. Get rid of him. They got rid of some other bad guys. They got Giuliani in there uh, way back when. He and Bratton did a pretty good job straightening things out. Uh, and, you know, it went from Washington was a murder capital of the United States. Then it was New York was a murder capital of the United States. Then it was Los Angeles, the murder capital of the United States. And things happened to for them to lose that title. In California, it was tough laws. Three strikes law, tough prosecutors, uh, a lot of laws against gangs. That's how our murder rate went way, way down, about 300%. But you know something, Steve, in New York, these politicians are so nuts that they don't even want the police department tracking gangs. Like keeping, you know how you keep a dossier on gangs? They don't want them doing that. These people are out of their minds. They made him dilute the, the whole ba the uh, whole database, the gang database. Well, we, we've got a guy running for DA in LA County right now. His name is George Gascon. He's a George Soros puppet put up by George Soros, and he'll get a lot of money from Soros. That guy has said when he becomes the LA County DA, no death penalty. They're going to eliminate the hardcore gang division, which is really big and tough and good and successful, eliminate them, and also is not going to enforce any of the gang enhancement laws that we all fought so hard to get to get appropriate sentence for gang members. So you watch LA, if this guy gets in, uh, you can just kiss us goodbye. Kiss us goodbye. We will once again be the murder capital of the United States. Well, is that because it's an elected um, position and that you'll basically like uh, give away the farm just to get in office? No, no, no. Most of our elected DAs have been really good DAs. Uh, 
And the last thing you want in LA County is to have the DA appointed by the Board of Supervisors. Because basically nowadays, they're kind of so left wing, you'd end up with someone just like George Gascon. You're better off having the people elect their sheriff and elect their DA. Because at least then once in a while, uh, they can use the ballot box to get rid of the bad ones and get in the good ones. The amazing, say the amazing, the amazing thing in Los Angeles County is we have a wonderful DA for the past almost eight years. She replaced Steve Cooley. She's female. She's black, and she's a tough prosecutor. And you've got this outsider coming in trying to knock off a female black. I mean, it's totally ironic, given everything that's going on in the country here. <laughs> I know, right? You figure <laughs> it's just amazing. Well, you know, in New York City, one of the, the perfect storm is that they just got rid of anti-crime, which is probably the yeah. toughest unit the NYPD has. They're the, every single precinct in the city had an anti-crime unit. They're the ones that go out after the guns, the street robberies, the assaults right. on the street. They just disbanded them. People that no uniform cops are not gonna. They don't have the time to go. You know, eight nine hours in a tour, go, going for guns, doing car stops, that type of thing. So people aren't afraid to carry guns right now. So that's why there's going to be so much more. You know, a disrespect on the street now into a shooting where maybe. You know, someone would have to go home to get their gun. Now they're carrying it on. So that little bump into someone, oh, there's the guy that dissed me last week. I'm going to shoot him. You know, because anti-crime is the unit that kept these people from carrying guns. And now it, it's chaos. It's not going to happen, you know? Yeah, chaos. Stop questioning Frisk. I will admit, as a New York City uh, retired sergeant, that was overused. It was totally overused. And you know what they say, you overuse it, you lose it. And that's what happened because they made it a numbers game, you know? But stop yeah. questioning Frisk is so damn important, especially in getting guns off the street, you know? You know what, I, uh, I've been asking our guests this. I think it's a very important question. So um, Steve and um, Greg, uh, where would you move right now? <laughs> um, uh, uh, you can Lane. pick a place I need to go to a, a state that doesn't have state income taxes that would yeah really I gotta good. do that too I gotta do uh, that but too. then be somewhere for the crime rates real low so I'd say something like a, like an Idaho as long as there's no state income tax <laughs> the state income tax California Pushing fourteen percent. Oh my god! Just Greg, ugly. How about you, huh? Greg? Where would you go? I don't know. I'm pretty happy sitting here in Glendale, California, where I'm at, right next to City of Los Angeles. I'm close to Burbank Airport. But I can't fly anywhere. If I wanted to fly to New York, I understand I'm not allowed to come to New York without being quarantined. So I don't yeah, know. Fourteen days. That's right. That's right. I'll tell you. The, yeah. I'll tell you the one place I don't want to go. Seattle, which is a beautiful oh my city, God. No, Portland, no, no. which is a beautiful city, but they got some ugly people up there. Those, <laughs> those, what they're doing to their law enforcement and their fellow citizens, uh, shame on, shame on both those cities, shame on their leaders, their mayors and their city councils. They're worthless, yeah. worthless. 
But Steve, the electorate is electing some of these people. You know what I mean? What does that say about the electorate? They must, they must all be smoking dope or doing something because I, I can't I can't imagine there are that many stupid ass nine people among the electorate, even in those two cities. Well, oh, they, they elected De Blasio twice. Yeah. <laughs> they, well. you know, they they I guess they loved them so much they elected him again. And you know what's scary? You know who if De Blasio is recalled. There's a guy named Jumani Williams that would become the mayor. That guy's just well, as bad or worse than de Blasio. Well, I find that I find that hard to believe. But if you say so, I believe it. <laughs> in, in the next election. Well, I don't know. Are the New Yorkers into self-flagellation and, uh, and, and guilt so much that they Re-elect a guy like De Blasio? Yeah, or well, obviously, yes, did, they did. They re-elected him. Do you guys have term limits back there for mayor? Yes, he, he has, he, he has oh. like, I think he has 15 months left. Oh, well, you can probably survive him, but boy, what a loser. Yeah. He'll, he'll get worse if he goes out. I mean. Uh, thank, thanks, Steve. One question in my, oh, by the way, in Seattle, in uh, Seattle, I think they're probably drinking too much coffee. They're famous for it, and it's gotten to their brains. Uh, maybe I think that's the problem. I just, but one thing, I just a lot of people are moving. A lot of people are moving from California to Arizona and Texas. I know that. I know I have several friends that have have, have done that actually fairly recently. But uh, one question that's in my mind about this uh, diaphragm law in New York City, where you can't uh, you know, put your knee or anything on the back of the suspect while you're resisting and you're trying to handcuff them, is can, the, can the, the police associations, the unions, whatever you call them back there, are they able to take that to court and fight it? Because I'll tell you, that, they're, that is they're gonna so try. out to lunch. They're certainly going to try, but I don't know what their their legal standing is to file. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I just I just cannot conceive of how you would su uh, subdue somebody uh, without being able to uh, put your knee on your back while you're handcuffing them. There is no sure you, you don't leave the knee on the back forever wait on the back forever you don't put the knee on the neck and hold him down for eight and a half minutes like the right. tragedy in uh, uh, Minneapolis every cop I know thought that was wrong I mean the unions right. and management all say okay that was wrong and of course that's the incident the last couple months that set off this whole conversation but frankly if it wasn't that incident it would be something else uh, the tensions were uh, were getting ready to uh, uh, boil over but some of this reaction, the anti-police reaction and restricting the police in tactics reaction is not well thought out and is literally dangerous. Yes, we've got to find ways to get rid of problem officers if, they, if they're not fixable. Yes, we've got to find ways in states that uh, uh, have officers going from one job to another without their history following them. Uh, yeah, that's got to be fixed. Yeah, there's too many arbitrators and civil service commissions. When a chief or a sheriff fires somebody for good reason, they overturn it and put the guy back to work on the public payroll. 
uh, and yeah, there's 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 ways to fix those things, but take you know defunding the police. I don't know about that. Sure, yeah. maybe we don't need to go to as many mental health calls. Who's going to go to those? But guess what? They're going to get hurt. Yes, you know. Yeah. Homeless homeless calls. Yeah. We never wanted to handle the homeless situation anyway. It got dumped on the police, but you know the homeless people at least in los angeles we have a whole lot of the murders in los angeles uh our homeless people knifing each other to death. Right. so right. who's going to go handle that if it's not the police you well you know, know how that's going to go down it's going to be a radio call that's uh you know the the sector car is going to deem it non-violent and then they're going to call the edp car which brings the clinician or the social worker there and then they're going to hand it off. How many of those cases do you actually have? Yeah, and then when it goes south, because they send the wrong people there, they're going to sue the cops for not showing up. Yeah. They can't win for losing. <laughs> well, the cops will my idea is that the cops will show up first, and then once they deem it's nonviolent, then they'll call this, uh, you know, the I call it the EDP car. Well, they'll call that, it that, that, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. They can evaluate it, make a judgment, call in the mental health people, and they can, and the cops can move on to the next call that requires your skill set. Yeah, that's that's the idea. I mean, I'm part of a program that I, I do some. You know, I'm an actor as well, and um, you know, we we we. Uh, uh, it's about how to handle mental illness. So they get a three part training there. They get the uh, lectures, then they get scenarios, which I act in, and then the, the idea was that you would put a clinician. Uh, would go out to these calls. So a lot of these ideas have been in the in the works in the makings for a long time. It's not new. Um, but the problem is, I guess it, th that third part never got implemented because I guess they were trying to figure out like who's liable. I can only imagine they're trying to figure out who's liable. You know, God forbid something happens. What, what else could something be? Will but that that was the idea. So a lot of these programs about uh, alleviating the police of some of their duties have been been something that's been in the works for a while. They just never go to the final phase and actually do it, you know? Because nobody yeah. wants to spend the money. No, but uh, you know something, no matter how much training you have uh, with the rules and the, the, the police uh, following these tactics that the city council is saying, you know, specifically the diaphragm law, you can train a guy till the cows come home. No one's going to be able to get someone cuffed that doesn't want to be cuffed with that diaphragm law. And then I the think they should call the city council. When they get some jailhouse jack just got out of prison and he doesn't want to be cuffed, call the city council. Let them cuff him, you know? Well, you, since, um, you know, Greg, you were the captain of the police academy, I'm sure during your tenure there that you were approached by many, many companies that probably wanted to introduce you to some non-lethal weapons um, that maybe you could put make part of the LAPD. And I see that no police department around the country has used like the bolo wrap or any one of these things that could apprehend people without actually putting your hands on them, or at least initially. And I, you know, even if it's just a, like a stun gun or a phaser, like something from the future, we got nothing coming in and our academy uh, recruits are from all over the place now. So none of them are like physically fit, most of them anyway. Do you, do you, does your police academy get a water bottle with the, the recruits name on it? 
Because <laughs> that's what they're giving out in the in the police academy. You get your own water bottle with the, with your name on it. It's a, it's a kind of gentler academy, you know. Yeah, so they, they can't fight. They can't fight, and you give them nothing to defend themselves. Oh, I, yeah, I got. Yeah, looking for better better equipment to 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 test. In fact, the Ebola wrap is out there at LAPD right now for a, I think a six month trial period. I'm kind of anxiously awaiting the results. I I, I saw the Ebola wrap training and demonstration uh, at a seminar. Uh, a use of force seminar up in Las Vegas a few months ago. And so I'm waiting to see, you know, how practical that is. It looks like it's got some potential, but uh, you know, the, the tasers, tasers properly used are very effective. Sometimes they're overused. We got to guard against that. Um, but ultimately, and I've been saying for God, 40 years now, I guess, what we really, even the inventor Taser, rest in peace, Jack Cover said, yeah, and, but I don't know that anybody's doing the research and development or if it's even feasible within our, our lifetime to get there, you know, wireless and, and you, you can make it a death ray or just a knockdown ray, just, you know, like I said, put it on stun, Scotty, you know, in a Star Trek uh, yeah. uh, uh, TV series and all that. Uh, but the, te the technology is going to uh, improve as time goes on. It always does, but I'm afraid we're in a situation now more than in any time in my uh, time in in law enforcement, which is 44 years now. You know, 30 active, 14 retired. That that our officers are really uh, in danger out there. Uh, from attacks emboldened by all of these demonstrations and anti-police talk in the media and, and all that. And so that's why I really think these books that Steve Cooley and Bob Shearn wrote, Blue Lives Matter and Blue Lives in Jeopardy, and the, uh, the forthcoming book, probably next year, Blue Lives Shootouts, uh, that they will save lives if people read them and learn the lessons. Hey, uh, Steve, where can we find these books? Uh, to be learned. Well, you can get them done. Uh, the, the websites are bluelivesmatter.com. And then okay. the other website is Blue Lives, uh, in, uh, Blue Lives in Jeopardy book.com. Uh, but Amazon sells them. Uh, and they're in all the bookstores, too. You know, Steve, you don't know what to ask you. There's been research done and uh, about the type of officer. They'll call the one officer the civil servant, and they'll call the other officer the warrior. And yeah, if you just, they always if you just, find out in most uh, police encounters, the officer is most opt to be to, to die in a encounter with the public is a community policing type officer who's nice guy is looking to talk to people and is friendly. Whereas the warrior is more concerned with tactics, protecting himself, and uh, he has that that kind of mentality, and, and not that community policing mentality. Well, probably good to have both of them working yeah, together. Yeah, it's. It, <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll leave that one to, to it, Greg. It, yeah. 
No, what Bill's saying is right. It's been proven by research for many years that it's it's the everybody says the nice guy. It's the nice guy that's really overrepresented in the uh, uh, fatality uh, statistics. But whether you're the you know the nice guy or the tough guy, uh, you need to learn the lessons and and use the tactics that are going to save your life. Uh, the situational awareness and your positioning and your communications uh, and you know one one of the one of the most important things that gets officers hurt or gets them into questionable shootings and uses of force is rushing into a situation a rush in where you don't really need to rush in right. most situations you don't need to rush in some you, you do if somebody's in jeopardy and you got to rush in and save their life or prevent them from getting beaten up. Okay, you got to rush in. I get that. But most situations, there's time for you to keep your distance, keep your cover, observe what's going on, radio in, get more units, get a supervisor, get a taser, get a beanbag shotgun. Whatever before you rush in. That one awareness of that one fact would save a lot of guys a lot of trouble and a lot of lawsuits as well as injuries or even death. Right. One of the big problems with that is also that police departments are losing a lot of their highly experienced officers because of the climate yeah. right now. They're, as yeah. soon as they get 20 years, they're jumping off the job. They're like, I'm not risking my pension to put everything on the line for this job that doesn't give a shit about me. You know, guys yeah. are running, they are sprinting to the pension section in New York City, sprinting. And I don't blame them, you know, I don't blame them at all. And, and you combine that, and you combine that with the difficulty they're gonna have in recruiting, which has already pre-existed the current crap for the last month exactly. and a half. Recruiting was tough. Agencies couldn't get good qualified candidates. Now things are even worse. Right. Uh, after people watch on TV what's been going on, so you got people leaving early, sprinting away. No one wants to come in. This is not a good scenario. No, and then they want you to get your own liability insurance now because they want to take away qualified immunity. Brilliant. That, that is not your fruitcake. Whoever's come up with that idea does not understand the dynamics of the law and how it works and how in the United States of America, you can file any kind of lawsuit you want. And what you say in your complaint or your allegation, uh, your legal paperwork, you can lie because you're protected by litigation privilege. So you can file your lawsuit, but then the poor officer uh, has no real protection with qualified immunity uh, that the courts would otherwise give him. It is a recipe for disaster. Recipe for disaster. Just when you think it can't get any worse, they add one more thing, you know? Yeah, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I, this too. I, I have a very hard time understanding this takeaway qualified immunity argument from my point of view and the work that I do as a consultant and expert witness. The media keeps telling you because the activists and the takeaway people keep telling you, oh, yeah, well, qualified immunity means that you can't sue the cops. 
I go, well, that's interesting. I've done over 300 cases of over 300 cases where the cops get sued. So, what does that mean? Uh, I mean, it's it, it's the, the the argument is founded on a lie. Of course, you can sue the cops. Anybody can sue anybody. Yeah, it's it's a standard whereby the court can determine that is that is is functionally a frivolous lawsuit according to uh, the law and and experience. That's all it is. It provides that protection during the course of the proceedings. Well, um, we reached that point where uh, we're going to close. I guess we're going to uh, wrap it up here. We wanted to thank you guys for coming in. Um, so I wanted to talk about the books one more time, if we could show them, Greg. Uh, sure. There's two books that are part of the series. There's another one coming out. Uh, Blue Lives in Jeopardy and Blue Lives Matter in the Line of Duty. And Steve Cooley is one of the authors. Greg Meyer is one of the experts. And um, they're fantastic books. I can't wait. Uh, I know you're sending them to Bill, but I hope you're sending me one too. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know what? E email me your address or Bill could just share it with you. <laughs> we can read it together. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hang out. This was a fantastic opportunity for us to, uh, to get our, you know, to spread out, to, go, to head all the way over to the West Coast and talk to two experts, uh, guys who have done it. That's what our show is known known for. It's about uh, people always admire the the guests that we have, and uh, we did it again. Gre you know, Bill always does it. Bill gets the guests. Most of them, um, uh, our, our producer Pam gets the guests for us too. Um, but th this was fantastic, man. Thank you guys for for uh, being part of our show. Okay, let's do it again, you guys. And before you know, you guys I, just go, to, uh, I just wanted to ask you, like in, in closing, and this could um, be for hope you hope you didn't run away, <laughs> Steve. But, I just wanted uh, to ask you in closing, and this goes for both of you. What 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 happens now? What is law enforcement's future now? Is is it doomed? Are, are the cities going to become so dangerous that they're going to force these nutcase politicians out, and they're going to go back and reverse these crazy? laws that they're trying to make? I mean, where, what, what happens? Well, I think the pendulum, well, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. I say it's, uh, you know, the pendulum is just swinging the wrong way right now, probably harder and worse than, uh, than Steve and I have seen it in our lifetimes and career. It, it's gonna have to swing back. I don't know when, I don't know what that's gonna look like, uh, but, you know, crime is crime is going rapidly up. Violent crime is going rapidly up, and the public's not going to stand for that for that long. I know your audience is probably mostly cops. Yes. Anybody that's ever been a cop knows that Black Lives Matter. We're the ones that are there 24/7 to try to protect those lives, and sure. the Hispanic lives, and the Asian lives, and the American Indian lives, and dare I say it the white lives. It, it, it's like we're there trying to protect and serve in the community. I have a clip from when George Floyd's brother, after the tragic death and many testified in the House Judiciary Committee about the tragic loss of his brother. And he said these words, I have them committed to memory. He said, my brother's life mattered. All our lives matter. Black 
Black Lives Matter. Nobody's going to call George Floyd's brother a racist for saying that all lives matter, but that's where we're at in this country with some people. They, they don't get it, that cops are the ones that are out there in those communities 24-7 trying to save everybody's lives, including Black lives. And right now, we're cutting these officers off at the pass. Violent crime is going up. We're going to a very bad place for a while. I hope not forever, but for a while, we are. And I want to say one more thing about the books. The public and the media don't seem to understand the facts of life and death on the street that confront our officers every day and every night. But many officers who are now dead in their graves, they know the dangers and it's too late. And we have to learn from them. Remember, we need to learn the lessons so that we can protect future officers' lives. And that's what Steve Cooley's books are all about. I recommend them. Steve, final words? Well, uh, I, I think, just remember that one word, pendulum. It does swing. Hopefully it'll swing back. Uh, and it's got a lot of swinging to do up in uh, <laughs> Seattle, <laughs> Philadelphia, Portland. And maybe if we get the wrong DA in LA County, we're going to do a little pendulum swinging down here. But, uh, uh, you know, there are great places in the United States of America where things aren't out of control. They, they, there are good places like Nebraska, uh, Idaho. Uh, South Dakota, I don't know. Uh, it's not all lost, but uh, there is a lot of improvement that can be made in certain of our municipal areas. Minnesota started this mess and it spread like a wildfire. And I think we're just gonna have to deal with it, uh, recognize that it is a force and then defeat it because it is an evil force. Yes, it is. Certainly All righty. So uh, there you have it. On behalf of Police Off the Cuff and Steve, um, I, I wrote that Idaho, Nebraska. What was South that? Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Arizona, I remember earlier. Uh, it's too hot. Too hot. Uh, Do they tax your pension there? I don't know. <laughs> Got to look well, all these stuff up. We're, we're <laughs> So not only do we talk about law enforcement, we always get, we also give people uh, great real estate advice on where to move to right now. <laughs> All right. So on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, I just want to thank you guys, Steve, Greg, you guys were a pleasure. Um, good luck with the books. We'll keep promoting them. Uh, Bill, uh, this was a great episode, man. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks, Steve. Okay, Thanks, very Bill. good. All right. Be on the lookout for those books, Mark. They're in the